Hello, my name is Nicholas Corey, and you are listening to The Novelcast. Cybersaurus, The Awakening, Chapter 42. Eddie stood outside the King's Plaza's police station, watching as the One Nation Security Division vehicle landed behind the building. He knew why the federal agents were here. They had come because King's Plaza reported that Regina had been taken into custody for Grand Theft Auto. Regina, being a wanted federal criminal, was about to change hands and be taken away by the federal agents, carried towards ONHQ. All according to plan. Regina needed to get into ONHQ, to find Naomi Hathaway and Stanley Mason, and to strike a deal with One Nation to return their lost Enviro Drive, if and only if they allowed the three of them to go free. The only way to do this, with any hope of success, was to get herself caught and transferred to ONHQ. A feat that wasn't terribly difficult, considering the criminal record and federal attention she had gained over the last three days. Eddie did what he could to assist her, constructing a small, yet effective, EMP peripheral for her spark connection, and ensuring she knew how to establish a hard connection between her and Stanley once she found him. He knew it wasn't ideal to run a connection cable between her spark connection and the one on the back of a six-ton Tyrannosaurus, but she had no other way of accessing his digital HUD and initiating his regeneration, or other biological functions without it. He just hoped she could find the spark-to-spark cable in ONHQ, though he didn't imagine it would be difficult. After a few moments, he heard the sound of the Federal Vehicle's engines start up, a low hum of electrically-powered turbines churning. It lifted into the air and pivoted, joining the skyway of cars above and flying back towards downtown New Washington. The ONHQ building could be seen there, rising above all others, shining like a spire of dark glass in the afternoon sun. Eddie tried to watch it go, but his vision blurred quickly as he followed it, and he found he was giving himself a headache trying to focus on the swiftly receding vehicle. He blinked a few times, rubbed his eyes, and looked down at the sidewalk at his feet. The drugs were affecting him again. Or, rather, the lack of drugs. He had used the last of his psychotabs that he had purchased from Damien, and now his brain was having a hard time returning to its normal chemical patterns. His senses would be problematic for a while, as he was forced to teach his body and brain how to behave normally again. No longer would he be able to think, act, and respond as quickly. His exhaustion and his hunger would all come back to him over time. End his pain. He had completely forgotten about his ankle, swollen from the twist he had sustained about a day and a half ago. With the psychos, the pain and stiffness was alleviated, and he could move and maneuver with more nimbleness than he could under normal circumstances. However, now that the drugs were beginning to wear off, he could feel the stiffness returning, starting with his toes. His brain told his foot to scrunch his toes, and then extend them out again, but the foot responded slowly and with the slightest hints of pain. 
He sighed. This was going to be a long day. Eddie slowly walked over to a nearby bus stop, plopping himself down on the bench. He had to get back home, back to his apartment, and wait this withdrawal out. He had no idea how long it would take for the symptoms to die down, but he had a feeling it was going to get a lot worse before it got any better. As he sat, he felt something in his pocket shift and rub up against his leg. Reaching in, he pulled out the small EnviroDrive Regina had given him. So much sensitive information was contained on this drive, and he had no idea why it was so important. When he and Regina had accessed it via Stanley, all it looked like was a collection of unrelated clerical files. Yet Regina felt that it was this drive that the federal agents from the sewers were after, and that, as well as the presence of a cybernetically enhanced Tyrannosaurus Rex, was the reason they had been pursued so aggressively. Eddie had seen the connection between these ideas, yet it was the fact that the name Desmond Kincaid had come up more than once in the last 48 hours that had him certain that this EnviroDrive held incredibly important federal information. His cousin, Morgan, who lived on Luna, had told Eddie that Desmond Kincaid was one of the Lunar Union leaders. It just so happened that the EnviroDrive contained an audio log of an interview between someone at ONHQ and Mr. Kincaid. Eddie knew this couldn't be a coincidence. Judging by the acts of One Nation recently, he assumed that Desmond Kincaid's life was at stake. As Eddie considered the situation and all of the information and conjectures he had, he suddenly felt like his stay at the apartment was going to be short-lived. Regina had given him 24 hours. If he didn't hear from Stanley, Naomi, or her within 24 hours of her arrest, then Eddie was to stay on the move. He had suggested going to Luna, and as he thought about it now, it seemed like the best course of action for him. The moon was the epicenter of some intense civil unrest at the moment, but he felt like that was far better than staying in the country. And at least up there he could look into exactly who Desmond Kincaid was, and what One Nation was planning. Grimacing as he tried to ignore the slow build of a dull pain in his ankle, he opened his Omninet directory and found the name he was looking for. Dunlap, Morgan J. He selected Connect, and heard the tone of the Omninet call going through to his cousin, Morgan, on the moon. The connection time took longer than normal, since the signal had to be sent to orbiting satellites and bounce to the moon on the other side of the world. After a few moments, though, he heard the call pick up, and the familiar voice of his cousin addressing him on the other side. Eddie? Morgan asked. Hi, Morgan. How are you doing? Not great. Why not? Morgan asked. Eddie sighed. Well, now I have to ask you if it's alright if I stay with you on Luna for a while. What? I know, it sounds weird. Weird? Eddie, it sounds crazy, Morgan said. You do realize that I was asking you the same thing just earlier today. Yes, I do, Eddie responded. But things have changed since then. What the hell are you talking about? 
Eddie winced in slight pain as he adjusted how he was sitting, stretching his injured leg out in front of him. Morgan, some friends of mine have gotten into some big trouble. What kind of trouble? Eddie paused for a moment. Like, government trouble. Shit, Morgan said. For real? Yeah, so far I've been able to help them and still stay out, but things are either going to get really bad, or really, really bad, pretty soon. Morgan sighed. Well, if you're looking for a place to hang low, this probably isn't the place to do it. I understand that, Eddie said. But there's someone there, on your tier, that may be involved in all of this. I need to try and get in contact with that person. Who? Eddie paused, thinking. While he was pretty certain that he wasn't on Owen's radar yet, he knew that they had the power to monitor any and all Omninet calls at a time. Even if he wasn't being chased by the feds, that doesn't mean he wasn't under federal surveillance. He suddenly became very aware of everything he was saying. I can't say, Eddie said. What do you mean? Morgan, look, just... I need a place to stay. A decent-sized place. Morgan sighed. Well, you can't stay here. Why not? Eddie, there's more to it than what I said earlier. Have the riots escalated? Eddie asked. No, Morgan said. It's been relatively quiet, but that can change any minute. So what's the problem? I owe people money, Eddie. Union people? Eddie asked. No, other people, Morgan said. Morgan was using the word people and not person. That can't be good, Eddie thought. How much? he asked. More than I have, Morgan said. And I can guarantee it's more than you have, too. Jesus, Eddie said. I know, but we may still be able to help each other out. How? Well, if you agree to let me use your apartment for the time being, then I'll do what I can to find you and your friends a place here. A good-sized place, Eddie reminded. Yeah, what exactly do you mean by that? Well, like... a small warehouse or something? Jesus, Morgan said. I know. All right, I'll see what I can find, Morgan said. There are a lot of underused shipping stalls in District G. I may be able to find one that isn't being monitored too closely. Good. So we have a deal? Morgan asked. Eddie chewed his lip as he considered the options before him. If he knew it was just him heading up to Luna, he could afford to not take Morgan's help. But since he expected Regina, Naomi, and especially Stanley to be joining him in less than a day, having a predetermined haven on Luna would help them out quite a bit. And, of course, if he said no, then he would be leaving his cousin to the mercy of the debt collectors. Okay. Eddie said. We have a deal. Great, Morgan responded. I'll start looking for apartments in District G, and I'll get back to you as soon as I find something. Okay, Eddie said. I'll get the apartment ready for you. We should be heading up there probably within the next day or two. Well, that's not a lot of time, Morgan responded. Well, it's going to have to work. 
All right, it'll work. Thank you, Eddie. Don't mention it. Harlan stood with Dr. Temple in the observation room, the two of them staring through the window at the unconscious Tyrannosaur lying in the holding cell beyond. Vincent Time sat at the computer console, sipping from a plastic cup of steaming coffee, his eyes scanning the lines of code that slowly filled the screen. Let's hope he doesn't wake up again, Time said. Harlan sat down a few chairs away, still watching the dinosaur, the culmination of so much of his time effort, and resources. So, she's been causing problems? Time turned a quizzical look on Dr. Wolf. She? Harlan nodded. Yes, agent, he said. It's female. Vincent turned to regard the dinosaur for a moment before returning his attention to the screen ahead of him. Well, kind of, he said. She's pretty groggy right away, but every time she gets up, she's more ready to act than before. So you sedate her again, Dr. Temple responded. Right, but we have to reset the search every time she gets up. The techs don't know how big of a dose to give, so they start it low and increase it steadily every time. But she's fighting them more and more as we go on. You still haven't completed a full search? Harland asked. No. Time said, sipping his coffee. But we get closer to that each time. Then she wakes up, moves around a bit. The techs up the dosage and reapply. She drops for another couple hours. I would imagine prolonged and repeated sedation would have an ill effect on the animal's cognitive functions, Dr. Temple observed. Yeah, you'd think, Time said. But brain activity has remained the same since we brought her in. Simon Temple stared through the window ahead of them, watching the slumbering beast with admiration and wonder. Dr. Wolf, he said, still watching the Tyrannosaur, you have created something truly remarkable. Harlan turned an uncertain, marginally disturbed look on Dr. Temple, but Simon didn't notice it, as he was so enthralled with the animal beyond the glass. Harlan didn't know what to say. He knew it was a compliment, but Dr. Temple was such a strange and eccentric person to Harland that he didn't want to acknowledge the statement. Should we get back to work on Gabriel? Diagnostics are running, Simon said. It will take another twenty minutes or so to complete. Then we just need to execute the startup process. Don't you want to get a head start? Harland asked. Eager to get back to work, Doctor? Time said. Or perhaps he is astonished by my work, as I am by his, Temple said. Harlan sighed. Just eager to fulfill my debt and be out of here. Ah, Temple said. Of course. Well, that will take more than just finishing Gabriel, I think. Harlan looked up to the masked Dr. Temple again now blatantly showing his disdain and contempt for the man. He knew that Temple didn't care. That doctor was a man of more than just thought. He saw his work as fulfilling some sort of strange calling. 
almost as if he were a prophet of a higher order. He spoke more like a religious fanatic than a scientist. Probably why all of his best work is just adjusted versions of my own, Harlan thought, chuckling to himself. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, you can find the previous season of The Novelcast at nicholascorey.com slash novelcast. That's N-I-C-H-O-L-A-S-K-O-R-Y dot com slash novelcast. The Novelcast is a podcast that is made possible by the support of the fine backers over at patreon.com slash novelcast. If you like what you hear and you want to help support this podcast as well, feel free to head to patreon.com slash novelcast and donate your support. Any amount is incredibly helpful and deeply appreciated. Also, if you like audiobooks, head over to audiobooks.com slash novelcast. Audiobooks.com has millions of different titles available, and by heading to audiobooks.com slash novelcast, you'll not only sign up for their free 30-day trial, but you'll also be showing your support for this podcast as well. Thanks once again for listening, and I will see you next time.